Hey guys, I had a question. It's uh, can I hear y'all say, uh, every little thing that big that you need, yeah, guess that you'd be fine without it. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Every little thing you think that you need, every little thing. Thing that you need, every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn, and I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together. We form Voltron. No, no, I mean, no. we are the minimalists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Welcome to episode uh, number 67. Today, we are going to talk about happiness. And um, man, I want I want to like listen to that Pharrell song right now. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does, man, that song always makes me feel like happy. It changes my state. Yeah. He he was able to somehow like like just incorporate some sort of algorithmic uh, uh, emotional tone with it, with that song that yeah. you like I don't dance at all if you see me dancing then I'm under duress <laughs> but um uh if I am dancing it's probably to that song yeah. although that's not true I around Ella I dance all the time because I I think most 30 something year old white guys dance like toddlers and since Ella is a toddler, her and I dance very similarly. That is great. Actually, you're probably a little bit better than her, so it makes, makes you feel good about yourself. <laughs> I'm actually not better Dude, than Mariah her. Dude, Mariah and I have dance parties in the kitchen all the time. <laughs> all the time. Yeah, so Ella has a Twitter account, at Ella Sandwich. And you know, I'll just occasionally tweet what she is talking about. And she will often say things like, Josh is a dancing fool. Or Josh is well, Josh won't stop dancing in my face. Because <laughs> I will. I will totally like challenge her to a dance off. But I, I need to play that happy song because she loves when I, in the morning if I just throw music on and start dancing, she freaking loves it. I, I'd like to start today, Ryan, with a a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's one of my favorite quotes. He says, "Don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose." Mm. And I think too often we do that in today's sort of material or, or consumer culture, materialist world. We, uh, we, we think our happiness is predicated on these external factors, especially on the, these things we might lose. So our last episode, we talked about things and, and what that means. It can be physical things or just uh, external experiences. And, and I think quite often we let our happiness, we, we base our happiness on what's going on outside of us instead of what's going on inside. So, yeah. so some of the questions we have today, um, they weren't specifically about happiness, but you could tell some of the people were, were rather discontented in, in their quest for happiness or their quest for a simpler life. And so we're going to, to talk today about happiness. Before we dive into the questions, there is an essay that I wanted to read and talk about with you. Uh, but before we do that, you and I are going on tour, and I'd like to let everyone know about that real quick. So the Less Is Now Tour, it's our 2017 tour. 
Uh, spread it over two legs so far. We just announced the first leg of the tour. Tickets are going like crazy to most of those events. So starting next month, that's April 2017, we're going to be in 19 cities throughout the spring and early summer. Pittsburgh, Burlington, Boston, Portland, Maine, Missoula, Spokane, Seattle, Portland, Oregon, and then we're we'll head over to the Midwest, uh, Grand Rapids, Chicago, Madison, Wisconsin, Minneapolis, and then back west again to California. That's uh, San Diego, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. And then back to our original neck of the woods, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Columbus, and Cleveland. Those are the first 19 cities. So we'd love for you to join us for a night of less. That means Ryan and I will, will present an in-depth talk about minimalism and we'll record a live version of this podcast, The Minimalist Podcast. And you can tell your friends about the tour over at lessisnow.com. On social media, you can also use the hashtag lessisnow. And then we also have on our tour page there at lessisnow.com, you can see 28 other cities that we're working on. So if you get on our email list, you'll be the first to know when tickets are available for those 28 cities. We've got a bunch of cities in Canada. We have a bunch of cities on the East Coast and in the mountain states and then uh, back in the Midwest again. And then uh, we're, we're going to do a small international leg as well in Texas. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry, it's a Rob Bell joke. Oh. Um, Anyway, yeah, uh, we've Austin's got... Austin's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I love Austin, Houston, Dallas, and uh, also Oklahoma City we hope to get to. And then uh, some other cities in the south, uh, Louisville, Nashville, Charlotte, uh, Birmingham, Atlanta, and somewhere in Florida as well. So uh, stay tuned to our email list over at theminimalists.com. You can get your tickets. They're already about halfway sold out in most cities, and a lot of cities are nearing selling out. So get your tickets while you can over at lessisnow.com. Now, Ryan, I, um, I read this essay called Stop Trying to Be Happy by Mark Manson. Okay. And uh, I thought it was, I read it a while ago, but I thought it was appropriate for, for this podcast in particular. And I don't think I'll read the whole, whole thing here, but I'd love to use this as a jump off point to talk about happiness because I think he, he captures a lot of yours and my ideas with respect to trying to be happy. Now, if, if you recall, throughout most of our 20s, man, we were constantly chasing this thing called happiness through through stuff through accumulation through so-called success and achievement through the title on our business card through luxury cars and expensive houses and expensive things and and status and now that is bled over quite often to um status uh, status updates mm, isn't that a weird yeah. word a status update yeah that's crazy um on on social media and so we're uh, uh, trying to achieve happiness through these ephemeral indulgences whether they're material things or they are um immaterial interactions uh, ephemeral interactions online and, and i think the problem might have to do with ryan i, I think the problem is we have a hard time differentiating between the things that could potentially make us happy and then also the things that are never going to make us happy and we're, they're actually quite often going to make us more discontented and in many of the behaviors that we partake in we get confused i think and so this is from mark manson maybe we can take some breaks in the middle of it to sort of talk about some of the concepts he he talks about and some of the things that we may even disagree with him about here all right if you have to try to be cool, you will never be cool. If you have to try to be happy, 
then you will never be happy. Maybe the problem these days is people are just trying too hard. Happiness, like other emotions, is not something you obtain, but rather something you inhabit. When you're raging, when you're raging pissed and throwing a socket wrench at the neighbor's kids, you are not self-conscious about your state of anger. You're not, you are not thinking to yourself, quote, am I finally angry? Am I doing this right? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're out for blood. You inhabit and live the anger. You are the anger. And then it's gone. Just as a confident man doesn't wonder if he's confident, a happy man does not wonder if he is happy. He simply is. What this implies is that happiness is not achieved in itself, but rather it is the side effect of a particular set of ongoing life experiences. This gets mixed up a lot, especially since happiness is marketed so much these days as a goal in and of itself. Buy X and be happy. Learn Y and be happy. But you can't buy happiness and you can't achieve happiness. It just is. And it is once you get other parts of, of your life in order. And so, um, man, I, th this, I couldn't agree with that more, man. It really resonated with me because he's yeah, talking about, that's great. You, you don't, when you get angry about something, you're not saying, am I doing this right? You in fact know that you're doing something wrong, at least in retrospect you do. Right. If you are somewhat self-aware, right in the moment, it feels great to put your hand through a wall, but afterward it's like, oh my gosh, now my hand hurts or, um, or it feels appropriate in the moment to yell at an inanimate object or the TV's not working. I'm going to start screaming yeah. at that. And, and we get pissed. And uh, I was watching, uh, I, I did a YouTube binge this, this past weekend. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll schedule an hour or two to just binge on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I give myself permission to sort of veg out, especially after like a, a really long day of work and, um, or a really <laughs> long trip in Chicago and a, uh, <laughs> a flight delay and a day later than you were supposed to be back in Missoula, you get home. Oh <laughs> yeah, man. Let's, let's talk about that because I was practicing some, uh, uh, anger this, <laughs> this past, uh, <laughs> week when we were flying back from Chicago. Um, so, uh, you, well, I, so let me talk about the YouTube thing first. I'll yeah. get to that. <laughs> Sorry. There, there, I will no, derail this whole no, podcast I, I, if you let I, me. I love the conversation here, <laughs> and I want to get back to that. So let's make sure we get back to it. But uh, I was watching this Uber driver who had just these two mean, visceral, vitriolic women in his back seat, I and they saw were drunk. This. And, and uh, at one point, he just started cussing them out. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and it got to a point where it was, I mean, you know, not that he didn't have a choice, but. There was there is nothing else he could have done to uh, get a I don't even want to say get a reaction from those girls, but to portray how ridiculous they were being. Yeah, right. I think that's I'm not I'm not like condoning his behavior. Right. I think that's where we get we get caught up though, is we think there's nothing else we can do. Mm, well, yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. or or even if we don't think there's nothing else we get, we can do, we think the most uh, appropriate response is rage or outrage, and it feels good in the moment because you're venting. I mean. That they have like you know you can go someplace and they have scream rooms so you can like just get out the ah like which I don't even know if that's healthy man I it, I don't know either I I'm sure there's some studies that will show you that that, that level of adrenaline probably is healthy in small doses um, but anyway he was it, they were totally inappropriate they were possibly drunk in his backseat and they were being rude and he asked them to get out and they wouldn't get out of his car and it was his car and so he starts yelling and and screaming and calling them all kinds of names and mm -hmm. and 
then he calls the police and it's like well wait a minute you could have called the police right away right, right you, you could have been yeah. very calm because then at the end of the day you're going to you're going to respect yourself more by, by having that type of reaction i've never felt great afterward about uh, yelling to someone even if i felt i was totally justified if i yelled at someone uh, I even if I've said anything just mean or rude to that person, I've never felt great. I've never felt great after arguing with someone. Now, you and I can get into a disagreement about something. We can have a discussion about that, and we may not even agree about that thing at the end of the day, mm-hmm. but that's different from arguing or yelling or screaming or any of these emotional reactions to that. And so I had an emotional reaction this past week. So you and I went out to Chicago to do some uh, media for the Less Is Now tour. We were on uh, Windy City Live in Chicago. And then we were speaking at a business association at the, the Schomburg Business Association to a, this group of, of, I don't know, a couple hundred um, businesses in, uh, in, in that area, which is like a suburb of, of Chicago. And uh, there was a huge snowstorm the day that we hadn't snowed. In months. In January or February. But in March. Up to that point in March, yeah. yeah, In mid-March, it decides to just dump all over uh, uh, the greater Chicago area. And and so we're out there, and I'm I'm going through this um, uh, uh, anxiety driving out to Schaumburg because it took us... To get it from there to there from Chicago is usually 40 minutes. It took us well over two hours to get out there because yeah. of the snow. And then, of course, that started messing up all the flights. So the next day when, when Sean and I, podcast Sean, who's here recording us right now, he and I were, were flying back. And you and Mariah were staying a couple extra days in Chicago because she has some family out there. And, and so we're flying back, and, and it's like, oh, we get to the airport, and the flight's delayed, which is – I'm okay with that. Like, I can deal with that pretty well. Um but then it's delayed again, and all of a sudden, okay, now we're going to miss our connecting flight. And mm, so we get to Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah, we get to Minneapolis. We've missed our connect our, our connection, and it's approaching midnight already. And um, they're like, well, we have no more flights back to Missoula today or tomorrow, uh, um, but we have one, one flight that goes to Salt Lake City, and then from Salt Lake City, you can fly into Butte, Montana, and then you can drive several hours from Butte, Mon- Montana to Missoula, Montana. And so I just remember, like, throughout that whole trip, my, my I was certainly not feeling happy, but I was feeling more and more frustrated. And so I implemented, a, a, I, I deployed some sort of uh, I mean, breathing exercises, some calmness, and also some some incantations. And, and doing it aloud really helped me throughout the trip. And I was talking to Sean, and so we, we ended up getting a hotel room for about three and a half hours uh, in in Minneapolis so we could catch an early morning flight the, the next day. So we're, we're staying across the street. It's well after midnight. Um, we're staying across the street from the, the largest mall in America, the Mall of America. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I just we're waiting over half an hour for the shuttle and like everything just seems to be going wrong. They've lost one of Sean's bags at this point. Oh my goodness! I know. And, and, wow. And so um, I'm also realizing as we're going through this, like this isn't a real problem. Like th- this is I don't have anywhere that I have to be. That, that this is absolutely detrimental. Now I'm I'm frustrated because I was supposed to see Bex earlier that day, and, and Ella her, and her were going to greet me at the airport, and like Ella's so excited to to see me, and so that's frustrating. And then 
uh, the plane being delayed is frustrating. And then the kids in front of me who were like poking each other constantly throughout <laughs> the flight is even more frustrating. <laughs> and so I just start looking at Sean and saying, man, everything is outstanding. Like everything is, is, is great. There are no problems. And this isn't some nonsense, just positive thinking because there wasn't a true problem. My life wasn't in danger. I wasn't missing out on some huge opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just that I was I was wasting a little bit of time, and I found ways to actually get that time back. I said, okay, well, given the time that I have on, on the airplane, is there something I can do? And so I did some writing. I also responded to some emails while we were at the airport, and, and I found a way to sort of take back that time, reprioritize that time. And while I certainly wasn't faced with extreme happiness in that situation, I, I handled it very well. I stayed calm the entire time. I, I never got outraged with an agent. I ma made sure I went out of my way to You mean you didn't them. go up to an agent and go, don't you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> you probably recognize me from my number one independent documentary of 2016. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, not exactly. But there were so many people who, because the flights were delayed and other people were having similar issues, and my goodness, their reactions were exactly how I would have reacted a decade ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, yelling at agents, this is stupid, what the hell is your problem? I wow. mean, these agents don't have any control over the, the plane being canceled no. and, and, and being mean to flight attendants. And when, saying, is, when is looking at someone and saying, what the hell is your problem, when has that ever worked? I don't know. I, you know what? In and what I had to world catch, does that does that work? <laughs> I had to catch myself with, with, with when Ella was two. Like she would have the, just these crazy meltdowns. I mean, absolute you know terrible twos. Um, I, it's like she was auditioning for some sort of uh, ISIS terrorist cell um, <laughs> because I mean she went to full meltdown mode. And um, at some point, I would just look at her and say, "What is your problem?" And I realized when I was doing that, like, that wasn't the best way to handle that because it was accusing her of something. And, and so I, I found uh, uh, our friend Rob Bell. It was actually he has this um, audio book called Ro Launching Rockets. And one of the things he do does with his his three kids is, is he's instead of saying, what is your problem or why are you doing that? Accusing someone is saying that's not how we roll. Yeah, like that's not what we do as a family. That's not what we do in this household. And when I saw these other people being mean and belligerent, I didn't see just a mean, belligerent person. I saw a bit of myself mm, and I saw yeah. what I was capable of. But then I also saw in my own mind, like, you know what? That's not how I roll anymore. That's not the, the best version of myself. And the best version of myself isn't always going to be happy, isn't always going to be satisfied, isn't always going to be pacified. The best version of myself doesn't have to act like that, though. Right. And so I, I think that was that was really that, that, that was an important turn for me. And so I started just talking to Sean, communicating, saying, you know what? Life is really great, man. Like, can you believe we get to do this? Like someone asked us to come out and speak to this business association. The, these people were all wearing suits and ties at eight o'clock in the morning. It was like our old world. Like. I remember being in like Springboro, Ohio, which is a south suburb of Dayton, yeah. and, and and speaking at country clubs like this, going over like 
you know, new promotions or, or marketing plans or, or whatever we were trying to roll out for the time and speaking to a group of employees. And this felt a lot like that. But the difference thing is that we got to be there. We didn't have to be there. We had the opportunity to present this message to a group of a few hundred people. And you could tell at first they were all a bit skeptical. You know, speaking to a group of like, like that, the burden of proof is really high. Yeah. But, but about 10 minutes into our 40-minute presentation, you start to see the light bulbs go off over their heads and it's like, wow, this is all worth it. Like this is incredibly rewarding that we get the opportunity to, to present this message to people, not in hopes to convert anyone, but in hopes that, you know what, maybe a few of these people will, will be able to tweeze a few ingredients out and simplify their life uh, a little bit and, and then ultimately be a bit, a bit happier. Anytime I have any problems at the airport with flight delays or missed flights or, you know, whatever it may be, the incantation I, I constantly use is I, I got it from Louis C.K. Okay. Where I'm, you know, uh, the whole airplane bit. If, if no one has seen that, actually, we should put that in the show notes, actually. Yeah. yeah. The, Louis K, the Louis C.K. Uh, where, he, where he talks about how, like, how in the world can you be upset on an airplane? Like, your butt is flying at 500 miles an hour. This is awesome. Yeah. And like that is what I constantly tell myself. I'm like, dude, your butt is flying at 500 miles an hour. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Like even though I might get there an hour later, or maybe it's you know 15 hours later, or even a day later, it's like you think about what you know what life was like a hundred years ago, uh-huh. and we can get you know to somewhere in 18 hours that used to take you know 18 weeks. Right. So yeah, that's that's the intent- incantation I constantly use is. Oh my goodness! My butt is getting ready to fly at 500 miles an hour. Yeah, it, it reminds me of, the, of an opposite story that Tony Robbins tells. I think it's in one of his books. I've heard him talk about it on different podcasts before. But um, he he talks about how whenever he fly internationally, he always found it frustrating. Even though he knew, like, what's so frustrating about this? Like, I'm in. He was in first class. He's like, I could even sleep on this plane if I want to. Why is this frustrating? But he remembers like the first intercontinental flight that he took to Australia that had Wi-Fi in it. Like they announced, you know, this was like when Wi-Fi was first starting to reach planes. They announced like that they are. That this this is our first flight with Wi-Fi. And he said literally people in on the plane were cheering, like applauding the fact that there was wow. Wi-Fi because you know, it was like a 14-hour flight over to, to Australia. And then nine minutes into the flight, the Wi-Fi goes out and people just start cursing. This is BS. I can't believe this. This airline is awful. Like, oh my I can't believe. And, and he's like, think about your expectations here. Like, y- 10 minutes ago, you were cheering the fact that you had Wi-Fi, and all of a sudden, it has now just become an expectation within, within, <laughs> within 10 nine minutes. Minute, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that all of a sudden, now you're supposed to have it. It's, it is a, a human right to have Wi-Fi in your intercontinental uh, flight. Wow. So continuing uh, Mark Manson's essay here, the, the next part of, of the essay is titled, Happiness is not the same as pleasure. When most people seek happiness, they are actually seeking pleasure. Good food, more sex, more time for TV and movies, a new car, parties with friends, full body massages, losing 10 pounds, becoming more popular, and so on. But while pleasure is great, it's not the same as happiness. Pleasure is correlated with happiness, but does not cause it. Ask any drug addict how their pursuit of pleasure turned out. Ask any adulterer who shattered her family and lost her children whether pleasure ultimately made her happy ask a man who almost ate himself to death how happy pursuing pleasure made him feel 
Pleasure is a false god. Research shows that people who focus their energy on materialistic and superficial pleasures end up more anxious, more emotionally unstable, and less happy in the long run. Pleasure is the most superficial form of life satisfaction and therefore the easiest. Pleasure is what's marketed to us. It's what we fixate on. It's what we use to numb and distract ourselves. But pleasure, while necessary, isn't sufficient. There's something more. And I think, I think that's important here, Ryan, is there's nothing wrong with pleasure, but we also need to realize that it is not sufficient. And sometimes our search for pleasure gets in the way of happiness. Yeah. No, it's <clears throat> that's an interesting point, man. I, what did he say? Pleasure is a false god. Yeah. Dude, that is brilliant. Because yeah, too much pleasure, man. It's uh, it's not a good thing. I mean, it, it, and then he, you know, he's like, ask a drug addict how that pursuit worked. And I think about like when I was doing a ton of drugs in the mm-hmm. corporate world, and yeah. uh, you know, it works really well. For yeah, like, but you weren't happy. N- no, but it works really well, like for maybe you know six months or a year, however long it is. Mm-hmm. But then even at that point where you get the pleasure overload, it stops working. Right, and then all of a sudden, like you have to do drugs just to feel normal. Mm-hmm. And like when you get to that point, I mean. It you know I guess if we were to liken this to like the pursuit of things, it's like, you know you aim for that that Porsche. Oh man, I want to get that Porsche. Or is it Porsche? Am I saying this right? Yes, it's uh, tomato. Okay. <laughs> <And then> no <laughs> one says tomato. <laughs> but no, or I'm um, you know I want to get that Lamborghini. And then like you know someone you know who who finally gets that car. And I know people who have done this. They get that car and they do for a minute have pleasure. Right. But then after that car is a year or two old, they're like, oh now I, now I got to get a, a Austin. Aston Martin? No, what's the Aston? Aston Martin? I yeah. think so. We're, um, we're out of touch with luxury goods. Right? I know we are. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but but no, I mean it's it's the same thing with whether it's with drugs or whether it's with material possessions. Uh, if we pursue pleasure only, we will get it. Yes, but it will work. It, you will feel less pleasurable more and more as you go on that pursuit. Yeah, and you're reminding me actually. So so basically, what's happened is. It's almost pleasure becomes noise at some point in time, yeah. right? Like if you're in a really quiet room, not necessarily silent, but just a quiet room, you can hear virtually anything that's going on. But as we increase the noise, I, I posted an essay on our Instagram account. So I've been doing this uh, an, an essay a day, reworking old essays and putting them with a beautiful photo on the Instagram account. And the one that I actually posted this morning, coincidentally, talks a little bit about about this noise in the last paragraph uh, from that. So I'm talking about how how east of the Rockies, there seems to be more sort of angst going on and, and sprawl and, and all this other stuff. But but really more noise is, is what happens. But in, anywhere there, there can be noise in our lives. And so uh, I, let me just read from this last paragraph of, of the essay. Tearing down everyone else's buildings doesn't make, make our building any taller. Uh, likewise, being the loudest or most angry noisemaker doesn't make any of us more relevant. I think that's one of the things we do, man. So uh, earlier in the essay, it, it, it was talking about like how we're, we're searching for, for relevance. You know, it says, uh, take a step back and listen, though. It quickly becomes obvious that what all the fuss is about. Uh, we make noise because we want to be heard. And because it's a loud world, we're forced to shout amid the backdrop of chaos. We're screaming, tooting our anger horns, and disrespecting other people in an effort to feel relevant. Too often, we treat people like crap, not, not to make ourselves feel better, but to make us feel less bad. And so, uh, man, that, 
think about that. So the guy who's yelling at, at the, the ticket agent at the Delta counter or whatever, it's not to make himself feel better. He's not going to feel better in that moment by, by yelling. It's to make him feel less bad. Mm. And, and so yeah. I like to put a distinction there is because you're behaving badly. You're fighting, you're, you're fighting uh, a bad situation with, with another bad situation. Uh, I know I've mentioned Rob Bell a few times already on, on this episode, but his latest episode, podcast episode that came out about a week ago, um, he was talking about how one of the things we were listening to this as we were driving through Chicago, yeah. he, he, he was he, he was talking about how uh, the only way to break the cycle of of uh, of fighting is to stop fighting. Right. And at first it may feel like you lose because you didn't get angry. But really, it's the only way to break the cycle and actually persevere and grow long term. Right. Yeah. And, and so maybe the only way to, to, to break the anger cycle and, and eventually achieve happiness is to stop fighting your battles with anger. And, and always take a step back, pause, breathe before before you let that happen. And so that seeking of pleasure that you're talking about, often I, I feel like we are seeking pleasure uh, and, and we have to seek more and more and more and it ups the noise to eventually where we're just shouting because there's so much noise uh, going on. And, and that pleasure, it becomes a cacophony of pleasure and, and we are overdosing on supposed pleasure. But of course, it's it's not enough, as as Mark Manson said in in the yeah. essay. Um, let's try to move on here because here in in his essay, here's here's a part where I think I disagree with him. Okay. Uh, the the subtitle of of this section is happiness does not require lowering one's expectations. Hmm. And I will I will I think I'll I'll be able to talk to you about this to differentiate. So he says a popular narrative lately is that people are becoming unhappier because we're all narcissistic and grew up being told that we're special, unique snowflakes who are going to change the world. And we have Facebook constantly telling us how amazing everyone's everyone else's lives are, but not our own. So we feel like crap and wonder where it all went wrong. Oh, and all of this happens by the age of 23. Sorry, but no. Give people a bit more credit than that. For instance, a friend of mine recently started a high-risk business venture. He dried up most of his savings trying to make it work and failed. Today, he's happier than ever for his experience. It taught him many lessons about what he wanted and didn't want in life. And it eventually led him to his current job, which he loves. He's able to look back and be proud of what he went for, uh, be proud that he went for it because otherwise he would have always wondered what if, and that would have made him unhappier than any failure would have. The failure to meet our own expectations is not antithetical to happiness. This is where I disagree, Ryan. Um, and he goes on, he says, and, I'm actu- and, I, and I actually argue that the ability to fail and still appreciate the experience is actually a fundamental building block for happiness. I sort of agree with that, but I'm going to use a different language around this in a moment. Uh, so he goes on. If you thought you were going to make $100,000 and drive a Porsche or Porsche immediately out of college, then your standards of success were skewed and superficial. You confused your pleasure for happiness, and the painful smack of reality hitting you in the face will be one of the best life lessons uh, you've ever, you ever learned. Uh, the, quote, lower expectations argument falls victim to the same old mindset that happiness is derived from without the joy of life is not having a hundred thousand dollar salary it's working to reach a hundred thousand dollar salary and then working for a two hundred thousand dollar salary and so on 
So, uh, and so here's his last paragraph on this, and let's talk about expectations. So I say raise your expectations. I strongly disagree with that, and I'll talk about why. Elongate your process. Lay on your deathbed with a to-do list a mile long and smile at the infinite opportunity granted to you. Create ridiculous standards for yourself. I strongly agree with that part. Uh, and then savor the inevitable future. Learn from it. Live it. Let the ground crack and rocks crumble around you because that's how something amazing grows through the cracks. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about expectations versus standards. Here's where I think Mark is wrong here. He says, raise your expectations. I say, lower your expectations if you want to experience happiness, but raise your standards dramatically. And, and so I think we have to differentiate between the two. And he seems to be using the two interchangeably. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I, I'm trying to think to myself, like, how is he using that word expectations? Because I don't think he's like he's not saying, you know, you go to the airport and you expect your flight to be on time. Raise your expectation and expect your flight to be there a half hour early. I don't think that's what he's implying there. Right, right, right. But that is kind of how I understand, like, that's how it might be coming across. Well, and I think that that's a really good example because if it's, it has to do with the flight, you do expect your flight to be on time. Sure. That, that's going to be the expectation. You paid for a ticket and it's, they give a stated time well, there. And, and yeah, and you have to follow a schedule. And yeah, I mean, it's... And so you're going to be disappointed if it's not there on time. Right. J just by definition, you'll be disappointed. But if you assume that time, if you change, if you lower your expectation on it, right, and, and you say, well, actually, I don't expect it to be there. I think that's their proposed time, and it's likely to change. Yeah. If that's your expectation, you've lowered the expectation, then the fact that it gets there on time, you're going to feel great about that. Yeah. It's like a movie that you build up in your head, and you go and see the movie, Right, and you're it's like, been hyped up. Yeah, you're like, eh, this movie was all right. Right, right. Or then, like, there's other movies where you're like, man, this is gonna be so stupid, and all the reviews were bad on it. And then you go and watch it, you're like, wait a minute, that was an awesome movie. Yeah, I think I felt yeah. that way about uh, that movie Get Out that I recommended on our last podcast. I think it's a masterpiece. I truly do. But going into it, I saw the trailer and I was, I was iffy. And and uh, and Bex and I, we we were trying to choose between three movies and it just happened that was the one at the right time mm. and i'm so glad that one worked out because but i had a very low expectation going into that movie right. but now that anyone i've told here it's a masterpiece all of a sudden now you have a high expectation going into it and so um I, what i would say is going into that movie with low expectation made it better but my standards for movies are still incredibly high my standard for a good movie is it has to fit my criteria it has to have meaning it has to have a exchange of consciousness between the the director and the characters and then, and then the person viewing it it has to have uh some sort of of purpose it has to you know it has to have nudity <laughs> yeah that's my standard <laughs> um and um, the truth is that I can have high standards and I can still ha go into it with low or ideally no expectation. And that, that's what happened with that movie Get Out. I, I, I walked in there with virtually no expectation. My expectation was I'm about to watch a movie over the next 90 minutes. Yeah. And, and, and knowing that my standards for a good movie are still high. And I think that can translate over to our creativity as so, well. So maybe the lesson here is we lower our expectations when it comes to other people and, yes. and, and, and how, how, uh, you know, we expect them to treat us and treat others. Um, but we, 
maybe what Mark is saying is is raise our expectations of ourselves. No, raise our standards for ourselves. Well, yeah, and that's why I think you were correct about him using those two words interchangeably. Right. I think that's what he was trying to say with yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think so too. That's why he said, you know, write a long to-do list. Expect more out of yourself. Right, right. And, and I, I think that we can expect more. Now, this is getting in, into semantics. We can expect more via our standards. our standards absolutely right? yeah uh, and, no i think you're right he's i think he's using those interchangeably and, and so your standard for physical health can be really high right mm-hmm. mine is and I, I i focus on it constantly but i also don't have the expectation that my health is going to change over the next month because i swallow a couple pills and all of a sudden and, and so uh, we often i think we all we have poor expectations and that's what leads to a lot of our discontent in life. Having and poor expectations? Yes, we have poor expectations. Interesting. We, we set the wrong expectations is what I mean. Okay. So a poor oh, expectation okay. I is, yeah, yeah. is I will be happy if I get that Porsche. Gotcha. I will be happy if I get that job. I will be happy if I get this, this, or this. I will be happy if I make a million dollars. Well, why will you be happy if you get any of those things? Well, because then I'll give myself permission to be happy. Or because I see other, worse, I, I see other people in advertising who are smiling next to that car, that house, that job, that widget that I am coveting. And so if I get that, I will be just like those other people. So we're letting our society, we're letting our culture, and worse, we're letting our advertisements set these expectations for us. And, and, and if they set those expectations and then you're not happy because you achieved that expectation and you didn't get there, it's because you set the wrong standards for yourself. Those, those aren't the right standards for you. And so I think you have to start asking different questions. What are my expectations? What are my standards for this particular area? Set those standards high. Try to let go of the expectations. And I think you'll feel a lot happier during that, that pursuit. And um, we'll put a link to the rest of this essay. It's a pretty long one, so I'm not going to keep reading. But if you all want to check it out, we'll put it, uh, in a, link, a link to it in the show notes over at theminimalists.com slash podcast all right let's see here uh before we uh, dive into our questions ryan first we'd like to have a word from our sponsor i'm just kidding are we just gonna insert more crickets there (laughs) no 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 no, i'm just kidding but seriously podcasts are getting out of control recently i don't know if you so i I listen to a lot of podcasts every single podcast i listen to i just have that you know skip 30 seconds forward like (laughs) <laughs> you know, like I just hit that like at least until probably five or eight minutes into it. Yeah, they're, they're getting and then really they fu- they're finally like, oh hey, I mean it's worse than TV commercials. It's like right, it's like the podcast of commercials before the actual podcast. And and there are a few people who do it well, um, and and most places don't. And the thirty second thing, they're they're getting wise to that, so they're doing like little fifteen second commercials. And so what will happen sometimes? I accidentally skip too far ahead, so I've set my. My, on my app, like you can skip ahead 15 seconds. Oh, okay. And uh, Good uh, to know. yeah, little tricks like that. But you no, still use um, oh, what's the one? I use uh, an app called Overcast. Overcast. Oh, yeah, so you're still I, using Overcast. Yeah. I wanted to say although here here's the here's the problem with Overcast is they put ads on on their platform now, and so I pay for the premium version. It's like a buck a month or something. But oh, wow, I didn't it, realize that. It, it's a much better. It's a much better player than any other player that I've I've used in the past, and I've become very accustomed. It's mainly to because it. of that, like you can speed up how fast it 
is played. And you can do that on most of the, the different ones now. But yeah, I listen to most podcasts at about 180, 190% speed, which you can do with Overcast. And if you do the premium version, they uh, they don't do any advertisements. And I'm happy to pay a buck a month to avoid any advertisements. And so, yeah, I, I, I use that. But whatever, whatever app you are using, uh, we'd love a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you to any... Anyone and everyone who, over the last few weeks, has has done it. I mean, we've had I, hundreds. I want to say like, they've almost doubled since our last. Yeah, since our last uh, ploy to, yeah. to to help us out. So <laughs> yes, thank you so yeah, much for thank that. Thank you very very much. We don't do any advertisements. We think advertisements suck. And so if you want to help spread the word, tell your friends, tell your family, forward it onto them. And then of course you can leave us a five star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That helps us get in front of more new sets of ears. And uh, you can always, uh, you could, if you really want to support the podcast, you could also donate at theminimalists.com slash donate. Ryan, should we jump into some questions here? Yeah, we should. All right, let's, let's dive head first. Our first question is from Rim in Savannah, Georgia. I feel discouraged by the lack of true friends in my life. Um, basically, everyone I know measures success in terms of fame and wealth and I want to be around people that measure success the way you guys do, with happiness and satisfaction and personal growth. Um, I'm a college student right now getting my master's and in school, and uh, I actually used to go to school in Cincinnati. Um, I haven't met a whole lot of people like that. I know you can meet kindred spirits online, but I wish I had people like that in my personal life so I could meet with them regularly to work on creative projects and, you know, have fun and it's really been getting me down. So any advice I would greatly appreciate. Thank you. She said something that really stood out to me. She said, I know I can meet kindred spirits online, but I really wish I could, you know, have people face to face. Right. I would posit she could do both. Yes. So I would, uh, I would first ask you, uh, Rem, have you went online and tried to connect with kindred spirits? Because that's a great place to start. Even if they do live a few states away, uh-huh. it's nice to have uh, someone you can just relate with yeah. and uh, someone that you wish you could meet with face-to-face. And then the other thing, too, is you can go online to places like meetup.com. And I don't know uh, you know, how many meetup groups are there in Savannah, Georgia. Savannah is a pretty big city. I'm assuming you know, if I was to guess, there's probably 150 to 250 groups that she can choose from. Yeah. And they're, they're groups from, uh, they range from meditation groups, yoga groups, um, whatever. I mean, knitting groups, yeah. anything. So wh- what I would say, Rim, is I would, I would challenge you to at least go to one meetup.com event a month. And if you're feeling like really, really motivated, go to two a month. But you've got to start somewhere. And you know it's going to be a slow build. It's very easy to be friends with the the kids you go to school with. It's very easy to be friends with your neighbors. It's very easy to to be friends with the people you go to church with. Uh, But if those people are not in alignment with your values and beliefs, then you've got to go out of your way and put in the work to find uh, people that that you can hang out with where you feel like they are supporting the things that, that, that you believe in. So yeah, I, I think it's uh, that, that's a great place to start. It's certainly not this like magic bullet answer. That's not what we do here on this show. Well, I, I think Ryan, you it's interesting because most of my relationships, my friendships, are a result of meeting people online. With the exception of you and and Sean, 
Um, maybe Adam. Like there are a yeah, couple of people. Yeah, like. yeah. <clears throat> there, there are a, a few close friends from yesteryear, from before age twenty-five. Yeah. But I can count them on one hand, maybe two hands, mm-hmm. uh, who are either primary or or secondary relationships. But there are there just a ton of people who I've met since age 25, especially since age 29 or 30, when we walked away from the corporate world who I've met online, you know, Twitter was always the the best way for me to meet people. I know a lot of people have switched over to Instagram now and and that's a great way as well. And I meet different business associates, but also like just really good friends. Our, Our business partner, Colin Wright, who's a great friend of ours. We met because of Twitter many years ago, like six, seven years ago. He was the first person who turned us on to to minimalism, but we started just tweeting. Uh, and I've got plenty of other friends who, who are like that and, and other relationships who have developed out of that. And to your point, Ryan, you don't necessarily have to be in the same city, or maybe sometimes you're just in the same city for a short period of time. And that's okay, too. Those relationships can help augment your overall experience. But yes, you you definitely want to be involved in the community that you're in. And I I agree with you, Ryan. Meetup.com is a good place to get started or just getting on social media and finding different people who seem to have similar values to you. Now, How are you going to know that, though? You got to know what your values are first before you can find other people with similar values. Well, that's what's great about at least Twitter. Like you can go through and read people's tweets and see what their their values exactly. are. <laughs> yeah, but but in, in, unless you know what your values are, it's going to be hard for you to align those with oh, someone yeah, else's, yeah. right? Definitely. Uh, speaking of values, Ryan and I want to do a podcast episode about our values in the next couple of weeks. So if you, if you have a, a question for us, you can call in or send a voice memo at the, the phone number or email address we give out later on in this episode we'd love to answer your question about our values or your values i guess go ahead go ahead i would say the last thing i would like tell rim is uh if you don't want to go online you don't want to go to meetup.com well then at least start going to places where you know uh people are going to be that at least share similar values maybe not the same beliefs but at least similar values that could be you know volunteering at a homeless shelter or, uh, you know, volunteering at a school, whatever it may be. Somewhere outside your comfort zone. Right, somewhere outside your comfort zone in your community to to meet people who you feel like, uh, or to go to places where you feel like you would meet people who share those those similar values and beliefs. Yeah, and I would say to add on to that, Ryan, is don't go, don't, don't go or don't spend time where you're tolerated. Spend time where you're celebrated. Mm. And, and so if you're around people at school who may not share those same values as you and they just tolerate you because of whatever, or same goes for, for your family or coworkers or, or whomever else, don't spend, don't allocate all your time with those people. They're tolerating you. Find people who are willing to, to celebrate you for who you are, warts and all, and, and know that you're, you're changing, you're growing, you're going through a really important time in your life as well. You're discovering who you want to be as a person. Now, that discovery should never end. Even when you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you want to keep discovering, but you're discovering your, your path in life right now. And, and so you want to surround yourself with people who will celebrate that path for you. Um, another thing that, that I will say is, uh, don't just look to make friends, look to make other people happy first. Yeah. And, and, and what I mean by that is try to add value to other people's lives. Don't, don't go out and say, I'm trying to have friends that, that that's saying, what can I get from this? And, and ask yourself maybe what can I give? And so real quick, uh, Leo Babalta wrote an essay called 32 ways to make someone happy today. And I won't read the whole thing, but he has a great list of 32 things on here that you can do to make uh, different people happy. So I'll just go through these uh, 32 items. Smile. Help them carry something. 
send a thank you email. You know, when's the last time you just sent something to someone that said, hey, thank you, or I appreciate you? I think that that's so important. Uh, just call to see how they're doing. Pick them flowers, cook a nice meal, tell a joke, clean, write a love letter to a loved one, give them a cherished book, bake cookies. I don't agree with that one. That's not healthy. Bake something though. <laughs> you can you could bake some like healthy cookies. I bet I bet mm. you Bex I bet you Bex would come up with an awesome healthy yeah. cookie recipe. Actually, she might have one now that I say that at minimalwellness.com. You shut your mouth about cookies, Milburn. <laughs> yeah, they're just they're not healthy, man. They they uh that sugar is not good for you. Um well, I'm, I'm <laughs> it's killing us. <laughs> hey, don't kill your friends by the trying to make them happy. The air we breathe is killing us. Hey Leo, why are you trying to kill your friends? <laughs> No, to uh, make them happy, just, yeah. <laughs> uh, praise them publicly. That's a big one. Um, yeah. And now it can be overused, and 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 yeah, we do it on Instagram. We see it on Instagram all the time. Oh, you look so pretty, or you're doing so awesome, you're kicking butt. That's all fine and, and good. Um, but when we just overpraise and we overcoddle people, the the compliments become watered down. You so, want it to be genuine, praise. Yeah, find a way to make it genuine. Uh, thank them for a job well done. Listen, that's really important. I mean, if you can show up and do one thing, people want to be heard. And the, the way they can be heard is if you show up and just listen. That makes someone happy a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, be there when they're in need. Give a free hug. If you see us on tour, you'll get a free hug. We will be, we'll be handing out thousands and thousands of free hugs during the Less Is Now tour. Um, if you stick around after the events. Uh, spend time with them. Having fun. Do errands or chores for them. Say, I love you. I probably wouldn't do that right away, Rem. Don't go to someone and just say, I love you. Although, it's interesting. Like I uh, I don't think of that word. It doesn't hold as much weight for me the same way that it does for, for many people. You know, those three words, I love you. Like We, we look for that in, in relationships or whatever. But I'll tell people I love them without having to be like in some sort of committed, intimate relationship with the person. You always do that when we're like in a public restroom and there's some random guy next to you <laughs> in the urinal. I love <laughs> you. You just look at him and you're like, I love you. Man, I was at the urinal uh, the other day and this guy walks up to me. I'm like, you know, going in the middle of using the urinal and, and he just goes, Hey, you're the minimalist guy, right? Um, yes. Hey, aren't you a hugger? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but not in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's see here. Uh, say I love you. H- help them get ahead. Be proud for them or be proud of them. Babysit if needed. House sit if they need it. Buy them movie tickets. Create a care package. Coffee. Totally agree with that one. <laughs> uh, list the things you love about them. Secretly leave them thank you notes. Uh, Bex and I do that with each other all the time. I got back from Chicago and on the bed was like just a nice note. And then Ella saw it. So she w- left a note on the bed as well. Um, it didn't actually say anything. It was just a bunch of scribbles, but the sentiment was certainly there. <laughs> and she, she actually read it to me, which was even better. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So she, uh, but yeah, uh, a note, uh, give them a back rub when appropriate. Yeah. Again, not, not a thing to, to do to someone right away, but, uh, you think you get the picture, deliver a nice meal, love them completely. And then the last one he has here is be happy yourself. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And uh, two last things here for Rim, Ryan. One is discover who you are by understanding your own personality. You understand your, your, your so me, I'm an INTJ. I'm an introvert. Uh, I'm intuitive. I'm a thinker. And uh, uh, I'm uh, uh, more of a 
a planner. Uh, the J stands for judging or, or planning for the future, really. And so understand what your personality is so you can complement other people's personality so you can understand what their personality is as well. Ryan and I get along so well because our personalities are so different. And so um, if you're looking for a personality test, we have one. I wrote an essay about alone time. Uh, you can go to theminimalists.com slash alone, but in there, there is a link to the Myers-Briggs test, personality test there. And then, like I said earlier, discover what your values are. Rem, we'll send you a copy of our book, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. It talks about the five higher order values or foundational values that Ryan and I uncovered when we were uncovering or we were getting rid of all of our stuff. Sean, if you could reach out to her, send her the book version or the ebook version or the audiobook version. It's now out as a, it's our shortest book. It's a two and a half hour audiobook. And uh, I think it's about 130 pages, something like that. So it's a short book, but you know, it's aptly titled Minimalism because of that. Ryan, you got anything else for um, Rim before we move on? I don't, man. Let's uh, listen to what Debbie has to say. Is it Canberra, Australia? I don't know. I know she's in Australia. Yeah, I think it's Canberra. I looked uh, it up. All right. It's real. It's a real place. Australia is a real place, that is. I really like the idea of setting aside stuff and embracing instead experiences. Um, I can see that that adds a lot of meaning to a life. But right now, um, because my primary goal needs to be to get out of debt, I feel like I'm also knocking back a lot of experiences um, that, you know, invitations to go out or maybe, you know, if there's a band I want to see, it's a bit expensive and I should say no to it. Um, and I'm I'm not silly. I know there are free experiences out there. I know that you can spend time with people and that can give a lot of meaning to life. But I still feel like I'm missing out. And I'm, I know my long-term goal is good. I'm happy with it. But I know you have some experience with this phase of getting out of debt and changing things. And I guess I wanted to ask what sustained you through that? What were the practices that helped you keep perspective or keep focused um, and, and maybe just help to have you have the right attitude um, to achieving this goal? Man, I can just hear in Debbie's voice that there is a lot of, of discontent and it sounds to me like she's certainly facing some adversity. And Debbie, what I'll tell you is uh, congratulations. And, and here's what I mean by that. I think that adversity, it, it finally introduces you to your real self and, and how you're able to handle that adversity what will allow you to grow exponentially over this time. Now, I understand that you're, you're getting out of debt, and I don't know what plan you have in place. Go back and listen to episode 60. It's our finances podcast. We talk about what we did to get out of debt. And um, yeah, I'm also reminded of this quote from Dave Ramsey. He, he says this all the time, Ryan. He, Dave, he, he says, um, live, you want to live like no one else today so you can live like no one else. Mm. And, and what he means by that is, yeah, you're going to have to what, miss out on some experiences today in the short term so that long term you've set, you've set the foundation for a much, much better life. But yes, you, you are missing out right now. And guess what? I think that's okay. Yeah. You know, uh, that, that missing out part of it reminded me of another one of Leo's essays. He's, he, he's, he's written a few essays about the fear of missing out. Uh-huh. 
Um, I'm going to read this one. It's called The Tragedy of Missing Out. Uh, this one stands out to me because it's it's got a nice parable with it. Okay. And uh, I love me a good parable. It goes a, like a this. Par- a pair of what? <laughs> a pair of bulls? <laughs> Stop it, Josh. <laughs> All right. The Tragedy of Missing Out. A father and his son went fishing on a small boat, hungry. The father helped his son reel in his first fish, and it was a beauty. Great catch, son, the father said. Yeah, but I'm worried I'm missing out on better fish, the son said. What if I could catch a bigger fish, a tastier fish? Maybe you should try, the father said. And the son did, catching an even bigger fish an hour later. A real beaut, the father said. But what if there are better fish out there, the son asked. Maybe you should try, the father said. And the son did, catching a bigger fish, then wondering if there were better fish, catching another, and so on. At the end of the day, the son was exhausted. The father asked, How'd the fish taste? The son hesitated. I'm not sure. I was so busy looking for better fish that I I didn't taste any of them. Mm. The father smiled contentedly patted his belly don't worry son they were delicious (laughs) we we are all of us like the sun we all worry at some time or another that we're missing out on things that's why we're so busy we take on so much because we don't want to miss out we take on dozens of goals and aspirations because we don't want to miss out But there's the bare truth. We all miss out no matter what. It's inevitable. We cannot do or try everything in the world, even with lives twice as long. We cannot see every town and city, read every interesting book, watch every important film. We will always, always miss out. Here's the the second more important truth. If you always worry about what you're missing out on, you will miss out on what you already have. Hmm. Don't make a reading list a mile long. Focus on the book in your hand. Don't pack your vacation itinerary with every highlight of the city you're visiting. Walk around and enjoy what you find. Don't worry about traveling the entire world. Be delighted with the world around you. Don't worry about what you're missing online. Or in the news, what you're doing is good enough. Mm. And let go of your long to-do lists and goal lists. They are a futile attempt to keep from missing out. You will miss out, but in striving to do everything, you'll miss out on the wonder of the thing you are doing right now. What you're doing right now is all that matters. Let the rest go and enjoy the fish you've already caught. Yeah, man, it reminds me of of Seth Godin, who he is focused a lot on sort of shrinking his audience in a way. Yeah, you know, he, he focusing bo- his audience. Maybe. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and really meaning not growing. He's not focused on growing anymore, and he's he's contented with the three million readers he has. And uh, the the interesting thing about that is, of course, if he focuses on those three million, then 
adding value to those people, quite often it grows from there because they share it with their friends and family. And so you're not as worried about that growth. It becomes a byproduct of doing something meaningful. And I think the same is absolutely true for for happiness, right? And so yeah. in our book, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, the, the very first chapter, I'm going to read just a paragraph from that because uh, the, the, the subsection of this chapter is called, Are You Happy? The material possessions we accumulate will not make us happy. We all know this, and yet we often search for life's meaning through accumulating more possessions. Real happiness, however, comes from who we are, from who we've become. Real happiness comes from within. Likewise, discontentment is also a result of who we've become. If you want to base your life on that of the average person, then this book is not for you. I would say that about this podcast too. This podcast is not for you because the average person is not happy. And just because most people are unhappy doesn't mean you must be unhappy too. You needn't settle for a mediocre life just because the people around you did. Of course, happiness is not the point. A meaningful life is. We must stop searching for happiness and instead start looking for meaning. If our short-term actions align with our long-term values, we'll find purpose in whatever we're doing. Paradoxically, it is this way of living, living deliberately, that leads to true happiness, not ephemeral or fleeting happiness, but lasting contentment that is reinforced by a life of discipline, attention, awareness, and intentionality. Happiness is merely a byproduct. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that that's how we need to start thinking about happiness is let's stop chasing it. And so, Debbie, I know you feel like you're missing out right now. And, and she's right. And, and she is. She is missing out. In fact, right now, everyone listening to this podcast is missing out on ninety nine point nine 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 percent of everything else going on in the world. Yes. Yeah. A functionally infinite amount of things. And so the key is to stop channel surfing in a way, right? Stop searching all of these. It, that was the problem. Remember when cable TV, like all of a sudden had 500 channels and we were teenagers or whatever. And we'd, you just sit there always searching for the next best, best thing. And you'd find something that was great, but then you're like, oh, but what else am I missing out? There's 499 other options. Mm-hmm. Well, now in today's world, it's an infinite am- amount of options because of YouTube and Seesaw and, and, and Yik Yak and whatever else is out there. Um, it, we, we have all of these different options and we are going to miss out on them. So the key is to find the channel on which we want to focus. You don't want to have, you, know, you, you don't want to have, uh, you know, the Jim Baker show pulled up and, and try to be happy with that. You're probably not going to be, but um, you do want to find the channel that resonates with you and then stick with that channel for a while so that, I mean, uh, metaphorically, of course, um, <laughs> that so, so that, you know, or stick with that fish or whatever it is. Um, maybe you're watching the fishing channel. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> perfect. No, you know, when I was reading that essay, I was trying to think of like, okay, what, what is, um, where is the debt in this, in this parable uh-huh. that Leo wrote about? And for me, it's the fishing part. Okay. It's not the fish. It's not eating the fish. It's the focusing on fishing yes. and not worrying about the fish that you're catching, just knowing that you've got to get fish. Right. So stay focused on the debt. And, you know, once that is paid off, then you can start looking at, okay, uh, and now I'm going to focus on the on the fish and, and maybe I can get a maybe I can get a better fish. Well, she asked, too, like what 
what kept you focused when you were when you were getting yeah, out of debt? Yeah, I was <clears throat> I was going into that. We're we're really you know at the end of the day. Um, yeah, I couldn't go to every single concert I wanted to. I couldn't uh, go and spend, you know, uh, an exorbitant amount of money on, on a very nice meal or anything. But what I could do is I could do things like uh, going for a nice walk mm-hmm. or uh, taking some beautiful hikes or just taking time with my friends. Maybe I incorporate my friends uh, mm-hmm. with those activities. But there are certainly some experiences um, that I know Debbie can do that it may not be you know, the, the, uh, $200 ticket concert that she wants to go sure. to. But you could crowdsource those experiences too. Yeah, like, absolutely. If you get with all your friends again and say, Hey, I'm trying to pay off my debt. Mm-hmm. Could really use your support with this. What are some free things that we can do while I'm paying off my debt? You're going to get a dozen ideas. And by mm-hmm. the way, if you all just get together at your house and, and, and have a brainstorming session that in, in and of itself is an experience. I'll tell you the thing that kept me focused, Ryan was, was the potential for freedom because I, I felt tethered to my debt. Yeah. And so the thing that kept me going was I knew that freedom was on the horizon, financial freedom and, and the other kind of freedom, which is discipline. And, and so, uh, I, I mentioned that in, in the book and minimalism live a meaningful life that I just read from you know, discipline and awareness. Those, those are the most, most precious kinds of freedom. And I think we have to untether ourselves from, from this financial discontent so that we can feel a lot more freedom. Now, it doesn't mean you have to make yeah. a lot of money. It just means you, you, you need to have less debt. Well, I have one, I have one last uh, okay. recommendation, um, for Debbie. Uh, if P, if you have people in your life who, will constantly give you gifts, start asking for experiences as gifts or like, you know, if there's a concert that you want to go to, you know, go to your friends or family who love to give you gifts and be like, Hey, if you could get me some concert tickets, that would be great. Or if you could just get me a gift card to this site that, you know, where I can get concert tickets, that would be great. Yeah. So you could certainly, uh, you know, help supplement experiences that way as well. Totally agree. And so remember adversity, it introduces you to your real self and, and you're, you're getting to, see how your best self would react to this. So so keep going with this. I'm certain once you get out of debt, that, that freedom that you experience on the other side will totally be worth it. I'd love to send you a copy of our book, Essential. It's an essay collection of 150 essays about intentional living. It's 12 different chapters, about 12 areas of intentional living. But I think the, the parts that you'll find the most value from is there is an essay in there about focus and staying focused amidst the, the noise and everything we're missing out on. And then also there's an entire chapter in that book about success. So that's the last thing I'm going to recommend for you is Figure out how you're going to identify your own success. It's not this template you've been sold. It's not the American dream. It's not what you see in the magazines or on the television screen. You get to define what success means to you. And I hope that book helps you helps you out with that. Sean, if you give her the audio book or, or the book book version of that, either one that she'll get value from. Our next question is from John in Pittsburgh. How do you deal with like things that you love that you think might be holding you back? Um, is it better to uh, commit to those things that you love or is it better to uh, let them go and um, in the goals of living a, a totally fulfilling and free life? You know, I don't think it's a, it's a binary option here. Do I have to commit or let go? Mm. Uh, what I'll tell you is if something becomes too precious to me, then I 
my tendency is to not necessarily let go right away, but loosen my grip a little bit. Yeah. If, if I have an ideal outcome or an ideal expectation, what I want to do is remove that expectation if I can. Now, John, I don't know specifically what you're talking about here, if it's a relationship or if it's a project or if it's a job, but you're asking, how do I deal with things uh, that I love, but they're holding you back? I would ask you, why do you love that thing? And can you achieve that love somewhere else that you're not going to feel held back? And then also let's look at this word commitment you talked about, right? So I think letting go is a different kind of commitment. I think our willingness Mm. to walk away from anything, it means that the things we are committed to, we are most committed to. I know in my relationship with Bex, her and I are always talking about uh, about our level of commitment and wanting to be committed to each other, and but also our willingness to walk away from this relationship if it's no longer an ideal relationship for both of us. And that allows us to grow together, and as long as we're growing in the same direction, our form of commitment and honesty and trust is much stronger because we know that we have to be there for the relationship. A marriage contract or just a piece of paper or even a vowel of I'm going to commit to you can be nice, but for me, that's not what commitment is. Real commitment is is shown through my daily actions. And so whether that's with a significant other, with a friendship, with a job, your real commitment to that is also, it also has to do with your willingness to walk away. And so if you feel like something's too precious to you, maybe loosen your, your grip a little bit and, and figure out whether or not it actually is, is precious for you. But if something is holding you back, then you need to figure out why it's holding you back. And yeah. Anything that's holding me back, I'm going to I'm gonna be willing to let go of. Yeah, I think I would just echo some of the same stuff you said. I mean, the first question is, I would ask myself is, okay, what is holding me back? And do I truly love this thing or this activity uh, that is blocking my path to living a meaningful life? Because, like I think of video games, for example. Like oh, I don't yeah. have a video game system uh-huh. because I would play it endlessly well, that's that pleasure thing right? right it's that pleasure thing yeah it's so, not true happiness <clears throat> right man so, dude, speaking of, I, I hate to interrupt you but no. th- there are there are now rehab groups for people of world of warcraft i know that sounds absurd but wow th- there are people there was one kid I, I was listening to terry gross talk about this recently on uh, fresh air and uh there's a guy who wrote a book about this and um man there's a kid who locked himself in his college dorm or whatever it was for 45 days and had gained 40 pounds, uh, and the doorman was just delivering pizzas to him, and uh, he was sleeping one hour a night because he he was lost in this this virtual world. And I tell you, wow. man, we, we have to start. Excuse me. We have to start developing the the mechanisms right now mm-hmm. to to be able to deal with that because virtual reality is right around the corner, man. And that's already a type of of virtual reality in in the lowest sense, that World of Warcraft thing. But can you imagine like the the epidemic that is that is abound? Although I'll tell you, it's no different from the 1800s. When it's no different from 2,000 years ago, the Stoics were telling people to get rid of their books because they were too much of a distraction. Wow! And and it was keeping them away from the real world, right? And so yeah, over 2,000 years ago, people like Epictetus were like he. So Epictetus is is a a, a rather you know, a profound writer and i say writer on quotes because he never actually wrote anything all of his 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 books are from his lectures that a student uh, copied down mm. he didn't believe in, in holding on to books because it was it was his version of social media today where it's well, like well that's just a pacifier it's it's not really a meaningful life experience and so we, we've been facing this for two thousand years and it just becomes 
we're, we're at a point now where we're facing such difficulties uh, separating this virtual world from the real world. We've blurred the line sufficiently that, you know what, we, we need these internal mechanisms to be able to deal with this be, before it's too late. And so, man, people are going through rehab for video game addiction. No, so that's, it's, that's it's, a great, it's just a different type of addiction. Yeah, it's a great example because it's like that, that gentleman loved World of Warcraft. Yeah. But the question is, is what is that holding him back from? Right. And what what is truly going to make him, again, live live a meaningful life? Right. So you've got to be honest with yourself, John. Like if you're if something is holding you back, a what is it holding you back from? Because you know if if the guy was if the kid's thinking, oh well, it's holding me back from making a million dollars. Like right. I would just posit that that is probably not as focused of a destination as it could be. It's not meaningful. Right. So so you know really look at yes. What what uh what do you love? Do you really love it? Uh, if it's holding you back from something from something meaningful, but uh, you know, I'll tell you, I have like you know artist friends who are living that starving artist lifestyle, right? And yeah, like they can't go and uh, you know take a trip when they want to or uh, have a have a brand new car. You know, there are things that they they want in their life, right? But they are more focused on creating. Yes. Rather than consuming. And that to them is what living a meaningful life is. Yeah. And they have to say yes to creating in order to do that. They have to say no to the, the consumption. Right. And they have to say no to maybe the corporate world or whatever. But that million dollar goal, it could be good for someone else. We talked about this in the last episode. But if it's your goal to, to save as many lives as possible, maybe making a million dollars and donating that all to charity is is a great goal for you to have. Right. Mm-hmm. Because be, so saying yes to that corporate job where you're slogging through that and making all that money so that you can give it to uh, charitable organizations who are saving people's lives, that could be the best use of your resources. Yeah. I think we can all agree that spending 45 days locked in a room playing a video game is is not a meaningful experience. No. And I think what John needs to do here is, if it's holding him back, holding him back from what? Is it holding him back from living a meaningful life? Mm-hmm. Then if so, by definition, you have to let go of that yeah. so that you can move forward. But what is a meaningful life for you, John? You need to be able to identify that so you can see whether or not it actually is holding you back. Uh, Ryan, one last thing here that reminded me of, we just talked about the yes and and the no. Uh, Derek Sivers in his book, which is called Anything You Want, he has this little short, very short essay, chapter even. It's uh, it's called either yes, no, he said, he said no yes, either hell yeah or no. This rule, uh, use this rule if you're often overcommitted or too scattered. If you're not saying hell yeah about something, say no. When deciding whether to do something, if you feel anything less than wow, that would be amazing, absolutely, hell yeah, then say no. When you say no to most things, you leave room in your life to really throw yourself completely into that rare thing that makes you say hell yeah. Every event you get invited to, every request to start a new project, if you're not saying hell yeah, then say no. We're all busy. We've all taken on too much. Saying yes to less is the way out. I love that, man. I, I think it's so important, man. How I, many times did we say yes to things where we're like, <sighs> yeah, and it's not a hell okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Huh. And, and it's funny, me because over the last, uh, since I read this about a year or two ago, about a year ago, I think, I... Uh, 
year and a half ago. And the reason I know that is I've been I've been coaching uh, Joshua Weaver a lot. He's the guy who runs a coffee shop with us down in St. Petersburg, Florida. We talk maybe once a week, uh, uh, at least once every other week, but usually once a week. And I'm constantly asking him, is that a hell yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, when he we're asking about business decisions, I'm constantly, saying, is that a hell yeah? And if he says no, I said, okay, well, what would get it to a hell yeah? Like we've been talking about renting out the backspace and there was this, this, uh, uh, ginger beer brewing company. And it seemed like a hell yeah at first that we were going to, to lease out the space to them. But then there were some other stipulations that still made it a yes, but it was no longer a hell yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, let's walk away from it. It's not a hell yeah. And it was a hell yeah. But then with these other stipulations, it's not a hell yeah. So, so let's walk away from it and figure out what will be a hell yeah. And think about the relationship that we're saving there too, right? Yes. It's like if we bring them into that space and it's just okay, uh-huh. then well, guess what? It's probably, it, actually, if it's just okay, it's going to be a worse than okay experience. Right, right. Good is the enemy of, of great here. And mm-hmm. so even if it was, was, was just okay, that is going to strain that relationship overall. And it's going to stress Josh out. And by the way, it takes away from other things that you could say hell yes to yeah. in the future. And so uh, it's something that I've implemented in my life. Is this a hell yes? And then why? Most important, why is it a hell yes, right? Yeah. And so ask yourself that, John, as you're going through this, you know, should I commit to this thing? Is it a hell yeah? Well, you're asking this question, so it's probably not a hell yeah in the first place. And John, you are, go- oh, one other thing before, before I, I, I give you that. Um, also think about the past and the future. So when you're looking at the past, the, th- the things that, that were discontenting to us in the past those are often called regrets, right? And so what about the future? Well, the, the, the future is despair. And that's what, that's what John is experiencing right now. He's experiencing a little bit of despair because he's saying it's holding me back. And he doesn't have a lot of hope for that. And so maybe letting go of the thing that's in the way will give you back the hope that you need. Speaking of hope, I hope to see you in Pittsburgh, John. We'd love to give you a ticket or two to our Pittsburgh event. It's the very first tour stop of the Less Is Now tour. It is on April 13th, and that event it might be the first one that ends up selling out. It's either that one or Boston, and there are a couple other in California that are that are getting close. So um, I'll tell you what, Sean, if you could reach out to John and give him a ticket or two if he's available that night, we'd love to see him in person, give him a hug, and uh, and say hi. All right, Ryan, should we should we move on? Yeah, man. All right, let me move on here. We'd love to hear what you have to say about happiness. So if you have a, a comment or a tip about happiness, including advice for any of our callers today, then leave us a voicemail at 406-219-7839. And now you can also send uh, an email. You can email a voice memo from your phone to podcast at com. We will air our favorite comments and tips on the next episode. You know what time it is. It's time for our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round where we answer questions from social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at The Minimalists and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. Uh, during this lightning round, this is where Ryan and I do our best to answer each question with just a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you like. All right, our first question is from Joyce. How do you know when you are truly happy? Happiness is a byproduct of a meaningful life. 
So mm. am, I, am I living a meaningful life? If so, that's how I know that I'm happy. And yeah. not just seeking pleasure. Yeah. Um, I, I wrote down, chasing happiness is an endless pursuit. Yes. And what I mean by that is what, 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 we, what we've been talking about. We confuse pleasure for happiness. And so those are the things that we typically chase are pleasurable things. And they're fleeting things. As soon as you get that new car, you're going to be happy up until that first car payment. Mm-hmm. You're going to you know, pursue that nice, big, luxury home. And it's going to be awesome up until that first mortgage payment. Right. So it's really impossible. I mean, and I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, uh-huh. but it's impossible to be truly happy unless one is manic. Yeah, well, yeah. So it's weird. It's, uh, another thing that Mark Manson wrote was about. Uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. But I mean, while you're looking that up, what I mean is to wake up every morning and ride to work on rainbows and unicorns. Right. Like that is, it's an unrealistic expectation, and I would argue that that would be, you know, like yes, that might be a truly happy state but the only people i see who are who are that happy mm-hmm. they're manic mm-hmm. and th- they can't relate with anyone else yeah, they're a 10 out of 10 all the time yeah Th- that won't work and that, that's what you reminded me of here so uh this is the uh, i was contemplating whether or not to to share this it was this essay or the other one that i was talking about earlier we'll put a link to it in the show notes we we tweeted this out recently it's called the disease of more And in the middle of it, he says, more is not always better. Psychologists didn't always study happiness. In fact, for most of the field's history, psychology focused not on the positive, but on what messed people up, what caused mental illness and emotional breakdowns and how people should cope with their greatest pains. It wasn't until the 1980s that a few uh, intrepid academics started asking themselves, wait a second, my job is kind of a downer. (laughs) <laughs> what about what makes people happy? Let's study that instead. <laughs> and uh, there was much celebration because soon dozens of, quote, happiness books would proliferate bookshelves, selling millions of copies to bored, angst, angst middle-class people with existential crises. But I'm getting ahead of myself. One of the first things psychologists did to study happiness was a simple survey. So this is what it reminded me of, Ryan. They took large groups of people and gave them pagers. Remember, this was the 80s and 90s. <laughs> And whenever the pager went off, each person was to stop and write down two things. Number one, on a scale of one to ten, how happy are you at this moment? And number two, what has been going on in your life to cause these feelings? They collected thousands of ratings from hundreds of people from all walks of life. And what they discovered was both surprising and actually incredibly boring. (laughs) Pretty much everybody wrote seven. Like... Hmm. All the time, no matter what. You know, it's funny. I was just asking myself that question. How happy am I right now? I'm at about a seven. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm overly positive, uh, but, and, and I have these incantations. So I, I, last year was one of the most difficult years of my life uh, and talking about my health stuff. And, and hopefully I'll be able to dive deep into that eventually. But uh, 2016 was sort of the, the nadir of, of my life in terms of health. But I was still... I was still much happier than than when I was back in the corporate world, even though my health was much better in the corporate world, um, especially toward the end there when I'd lost lost a bunch of weight. But anyway, uh, pretty much everyone wrote seven all the time, and so I I, I know I'm I think most of the time I'm around eight or nine. Um, 
That's border like nine to me is borderline manic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I I would agree with that. Um, when I say eight or nine, nine is like my my upper end. There are times where I get ten. Like when I'm writing and it's going really really well, mm-hmm. I'll get to that manic level of, of ten. But it's not sustainable. It's it's a short burst of of fifteen to thirty minutes of of manic pleasure. It, it's not unlike sex actually. Um, and so th- those are the two times when I really feel like I experience a, a 10. Um, and so anyway, uh, at the grocery store, buying milk seven, attending my son's baseball game, seven, talking to my boss about making a big sale to his client, seven, when, when even when catastrophic, uh, catastrophic stuff did happen, mom got cancer, missed a mortgage payment on the house. Junior lost an arm in a freak bowling accident, accident. Happiness levels would dip to the two to five range for a short period. Then, after a certain amount of time, promptly return to seven. Hmm. <laughs> this was true for extremely positive events as well. Lottery winners, dream vacations, marriages, people's ratings would shoot up for a short period of time and then predictably settle back to around a seven. Hmm. This fascinated psychologists. Nobody is fully happy all the time. But, and, and that's the problem. When people ask, are you guys happier now than ever? That's why I say happiness is not the point. Mm-hmm. Living a meaningful life is the point, And happiness is the beautiful byproduct of it. Uh, but similarly, nobody is fully unhappy all the time either. It seems that humans, regardless of our external circumstances, live in a constant state of mild but not fully, <laughs> but not fully satisfying happiness. Put another way, things are pretty much always fine. But they could also always be better. That's so funny. So when I think about being a seven, I'm not unhappy with that. Right. Like I feel good at being because it's like what can make it an eight right now would be like if we were, you know, at a you know, do one of our goofy soup kitchen line things where we're like, you know, making making jokes and crack you know cracking each other up while we're serving food to the homeless or something like that that's a good experience so like that would bump it up to an eight how do i bump it up to a nine like oh wow like maybe i'm going to uh maybe i've like written something that uh never you know never thought was possible for me to actually get out of my brain in, in a cohesive way or a coherent way um and then like a 10 i'm thinking uh, it would have to be in that manic state where Snacks, sex while snowboarding. <laughs> no, I was gonna say like manic state where yeah, like I will um, just have like an awesome run yeah. down a hill, uh-huh. and um, I'm not, I don't like do too many jumps, but there are certain days where I will hit some some jumps, uh-huh. and and it's just perfect, and like right. there isn't a better feeling than like being in the air knowing you're in control right and then like coming down and landing oh and you're going you know 20 or 30 miles an hour and you can't have that 10 without the seven right and and what i'll say is i'm often around an eight or probably a five or six and, and, and <laughs> because of the pain yeah that's yeah yeah i mean yeah. I, so I've, I've dealt with all, i didn't mean to laugh at your pain so no no it's 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 okay man I'm, I'm dealing with it really well and i think um i deal with pain better than than most people do but i've had a lot of physical pain over the last year mm-hmm. but then also um uh, just a lot of my chemical sensitivities last year, I just caused so much angst in my life with the brain fog I was experiencing. I was having short-term memory loss. It was really bad. And so I, I, I know people have been asking about that, and I will 
I will record an episode eventually once I feel that I've I've learned the appropriate lessons to pass on to everyone, how I have healed my back, and I've mostly done that now. Um, I no longer have sciatica, which is really, really great. Most of that has to do with the Goscue therapy. For so, for those of you who are lo- looking for relief now, just buy Peter Goscue's book. It's called Pain-Free and do the exercises. If you're near an Agoscue clinic, I think there are 25 in the U.S., I, uh, that's where I went to learn the exercises I do. And I've done a bunch of other stuff too. It's not just that, but uh, that has certainly helped me. Anyway, uh, back to the lightning round, Ryan. Lisa writes in, it's interesting how most people have a splurge item. For some, it's purses or shoes, but for others, it's food or books. What's yours? Well, my, my short tweetable answer here is there is little correlation between happiness and stuff amen uh i wrote i wrote this but i kind of want to expand a little bit but here's my short answer splurging will never feel better than living up to one's values and beliefs yeah which is absolutely true now to answer her question head on like what do i splurge on yes um uh, probably food uh-huh. Like if I if it's me and Mariah and we're out with a couple friends uh-huh. and I don't see those friends often, like I will go out of my way to like some of my friends call me, oh, you're Mister, I'll pay for everything because right. like I w- I would love to take them out to a meal. I, I'm not going to buy them trinkets. I'm not going to get them a souvenir. I'm not going to certainly give them a copy of my book unless they ask for it. Yeah. Um. So you know, buying a meal for my friends, a nice meal for my friends, like to me. Like that, I guess that's my splurge. But, yeah. but even in the same token, though, it's not, it, it, it's it's adding value still. Yeah, and you can afford it. And I think that's the other right, thing. Right. Does it that's add the, value and can I afford it? That's the key it? thing. Yeah. Like I'm not going into debt to do that. Yeah. Absolutely not. And so I think you should never splurge if you have any debt whatsoever. And we're not. Totally agree with not, that. So you and I, we were doing the, uh, the Facebook Live thing the other day, Instagram Live, Mondays with the Minimalists. Uh, I think we're doing it every 2 p.m. or 2 p.m. every Monday until April 11th of 2017. But anyway, uh, we were calling up people on the phone and uh, I I was telling one guy like, no, you don't want to go on that vacation right now, even though, yes, you've paid off your credit card debt. Congratulations. But you still have student loan debt. Mm -hmm. And so, no, you, you, you you don't. That is splurging because what I should have told him and I didn't in the moment was you wouldn't do the opposite. You, you wouldn't take on $8,000 worth of credit card debt to do the European uh, or, or student loan debt to do a European vacation. Right. Right. And so it, it, it's the same thing. There's mm-hmm. no difference. If you have $8,000 you can spend to pay off your, your student loan debt, it's functionally the same thing as spending $8,000 on a vacation. Don't splurge if, if you're in debt. Um, I'm going to, so I'm, I'm learning from my, my past. I, my mind will change on certain things. One thing I've splurged on recently. I, I don't do the whole smart home thing, but I've done a few smart light bulbs recently. I, yeah. Have you done these? The the Philips Hue? Why aren't you saving this for the uh, recommendation portion yeah. of our show? Well, it could just answer the question. <laughs> just uh, and, and I have too many recommendations already. <laughs> the, the Philips Hue thing is something I'm testing out. Plus, it's not a recommendation yet. I'm, I'm still testing it out. Yeah. But it's something like 16 million different colors in one light bulb. But you can, wow. you can set it like uh, you can set the mood and you can say, hey, Siri, um, yeah good morning and they'll set the, the, the lights to the morning time lights for you or the evening good evening Siri and it will turn the lights down to the appropriate level and remove all the blue light for you so I'm testing that out my phone doesn't do hey Siri <laughs> <laughs> I, st- I still got that that old old model <laughs> oh yeah yeah um, but uh, it, it I found that it 
works really well so far and you know it's just i could turn the lights to 10 percent, or i can turn the lights to purple or, or whatever and i'm testing that out so that was a splurge item uh recently that i could afford uh you know one of those light bulbs is like 20 bucks or so so but i, I can afford it right now i don't have any debt and it was, it was something i wanted to try out because i don't have a dimmer switch uh on all the the lights and so it was something that i wanted to try out with the bulb anyway sorry to, to derail us we'll move on to the rest of the light <laughs> yeah that's round. my job <laughs> sarah do you both really and honestly feel that you're the happiest right now than you've ever been before? Mm. Well, I feel like I've already answered this, but so, so this is not part of my answer, but it's yes. Uh, that's not tweetable. I just, the, the word <laughs> sure <it> yes. Is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, again, so happiness isn't the objective. A meaningful life is. That's my short answer. My short answer is I focus less on happiness these days and instead focus more on purpose. Yes, exactly. And, you know, yes, like I, so that's seven. Just going back to that whole ranking how happy we are. Yeah. I would say that I experienced, you know, that seven happiness in the corporate world, but I experienced it much less. So those dips that, you know, you brought up the, whether your boss is yelling at you or, you know, those were my dips, yeah. Bo- boss Many yelling at me, dips. customers yelling at me, uh, my employees not happy, so forth and so on. I could always get back to that seven though. Manic so, depressive going back and forth. Like I'm the two. Now I'm a seven. Now I'm a yeah. two. Now I'm a seven. Now I'm a three. Actually, now I'm a seven. I could, if I took the right drugs, I could get from like a three to a 10 pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that endless pursuit of fleeting pleasure. Yeah. No, but, but in all seriousness though, I guess because I focus more on purpose now or focusing more on living a meaningful life, uh, I, I, I could, I stay at that seven and even, yeah, get up to that eight and nine way more often, uh, than I ever did before. And totally. it's not because I threw out all my stuff. Like that's not right. Like that's just the beginning of it is, is getting rid of, of the stuff. Mm-hmm. It's because I am able to stay focused on what truly makes me feel like I'm living a meaningful life because I've gotten clear with those values and beliefs. And you removed the, the distractions. The stuff quite often was a distraction. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I don't want anyone, cause I know there's someone out there right now. They're like, yeah, I wish I had a purpose. And you know what? You don't have to have this grand purpose right now. Right. Like maybe someone's purpose right now is to find out their purpose yeah. or, you know, maybe, maybe their purpose is to take care of their sick grandmother, or maybe their purpose is to get out of debt. Yeah. Start with, start with purposes like that, that, you know, are going to lead to bigger and larger purposes and, and don't feel bad if you don't have some grandiose, like saving the world purpose right now. Cause I think that those, uh, I think our purpose has changed, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, I think, I think having too grandiose of a, of a purpose will often, uh, it's too high of an expectation. A- instead, having, having high standards for your actions is, uh, I think, what's really important there. And so y- your purpose doesn't have to be putting a dent in the universe or changing the world. It could be helping one person. Uh, it could be helping yourself. Yeah. And, and, and that could be your and purpose okay. to start. And it will change over time. Yeah. I heard, I saw this... Uh, Oh, I don't know. It was on like Tumblr or something, but, um, someone was sharing an experience. Uh, it was like their first day of college and their professor was like, Hey, I know that, you know, you college kids are here because you want to change the world. That's, that's pretty clear. Mm -hmm. And I really commend all of you for, you know, coming to this university and, and having those aspirations. But throughout this whole experience of college, if, if, 
there's someone in this class who just changes themselves for the better, like that, that's worth it all. And uh, I think that just kind of echoes what you were saying. It's it purpose might just be changing yourself a little bit. I agree. Okay. Where are we at? We are on Yas. Yas. <laughs> Do all values have to make you happy or are some just necessary? My short answer to that is values don't make us happy. Aligning our actions with our values makes us happy. Um, I, I have a, just an echoing <laughs> pithy response. Values don't make you happy. Living up to them does. <laughs> did I, did I, did we, did you change that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> you sucker. <laughs> I, I just fixed the grammar in it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, so I think we're both, yeah. I don't even think we're both trying to say the same thing. We are saying the same thing. Yeah, there. we are. So your values, no, your values don't make you happy. Uh, uh, it, it really has to do with the actions that make you happy. All right. Last. last one is from Sam. How do you help someone who has no values, goals, or determination and you no longer get along with because of that? Well, my short answer to that is you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. I can hear all the light bulbs going off. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard you say that before. Take a drink. Or going on. <laughs> right. yeah, light bulbs going on. What Go did ahead. I say? Going off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah. You, we're saying the same thing. I'm just saying it differently. Yeah, you're no, just I'm saying just, it wrong. I'm just saying it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. I mean, you can't force someone to change. Come no, on now. That, Sam, you stop trying to change a person who has uh, no values or different values from you. And instead, surround yourself with people. There are 7 billion people in the world, and there are plenty of people in your community who have similar values. Not the same values, but they have similar values to you. You don't have to change them but you, they will celebrate you for who you are. Yeah, here's my short pithy answer. Trying to force someone to change is like trying to potty train a six-month-old baby. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, man. That's uh, it's not going to work, man. It's not going to work. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to our added value portion of the show. This is where we each recommend something that has added value to our lives recently. Uh, I've got a few things to recommend. Ryan, what do you got? Um, I've got this amazing album, which I thought we already recommended on the show, but you informed me we did not. Uh, no. Khalid, mm -hmm. am I saying that right? Khalid. Khalid. Uh -huh. It's it's an it's I D. It's not E E D. It's pronounced Khalid. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> we're saying the same thing. I'm just saying it wrong. <laughs> no, he's got so he's 19 years old now, I believe, but I think he produced this album when he was 18. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, it's called American Teen. It just came out this year, though. Yeah, just came out this year. Um. It's so good. Dude, I, I was playing it for uh, some friends we had over last night. Uh-huh. And, like, all of them were like, I love this album. And so anyone good. I've recommend this to or or played it for them, like, they are, they automatically are, like, hooked on it. And it's funny because he sings a lot about, you know, his high school self mm -hmm. being 18 years old, which sounds like you and I really wouldn't enjoy. No, but, I'm old enough to be his father. Yeah. He, but he he does such a good job of like a I think he does a great job of speaking towards the um, the tone uh -huh. of teenagers right now. Yes, but that tone of teenagers now and in, in the world that we live in, 
what it that what for some reason this album helps me see that like teens really haven't changed that much no. over the decades. No. Like I was this same exact way. Right. The technology's changed, right. but the emotions and experiences aren't considerably the different. The way teenagers express their um, their emotions are different these yeah. days, but they still have the same emotions. So it's called American Teen, but it does not feel like a teenager not made all. this album. No. In fact, it reminds me of uh, a singer-songwriter from the So it's I don't know what you call it pop music, I guess. Sure. But he sounds a lot like uh, Pablo Nutini yeah. from Scotland, yeah. even though um, Khalid is from uh, El Paso, Texas. Um, but pa- Pablo Nutini had sort of the same same vibe, and he was 18 or 19 at the time, and um, had the same sentiments, you know, a decade and a half ago, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's interesting that um, yeah the the they both sound much more. I don't want to say older, much more mature, uh, and but they're still opening their their hearts through through their music, and it's it's a beautiful album, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's I know that the um, what's Aquila's new album? Silhouettes. Silhouettes. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, I wanted to say Kaleidoscope. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like that is. I know that's your album of the year so I, far, but this is probably tied for second. I was going to say tied, tied for first. I mean, yeah, I was going to say like this is up there with with silhouettes for me, man. Yeah, so check out uh, Khalid's album American Teen. So I'm going to recommend a show and a essay and then a thing that is an adult thing. And so if you have kids listening, we'll get to that in a second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so let's uh, let's move. We're gonna keep it. We'll keep it PG thirteen. But uh, it's weird how we're like in our Puritan society. We're so uh, uh, we can't talk about sexuality in a explicit way without it seeming to be grotesque or something. But anyway, I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, the show I'm gonna recommend is uh, Gerard Carmichael's. Uh, he he did a show uh, called Eight. It's like a stand-up comedy, sort of, but it's more of like a... Is this a series or is it No, a, it's, I'm sorry. It's just like a... Like a one-hour special? Yeah, one-hour special. And I say it's a stand-up comedy, but it, don't go into it with the expectation of, of stand-up comedy. It is more... Uh, I mean, it, he does it in the same vein as a stand-up comic would, or as you and I would, just talking in front of an audience of like a thousand people or something. Uh, he's in this theater. Uh, I think he's in New York City when he's doing it. But he he's... He, it's on HBO, I believe. Uh, Sean, if you can find a link to it, put it in the show notes. But he was so open and so honest in this thing. And it reminded me of Kafka, who who wrote about how like the the life's most honest and profound truths can be expressed only through humor. Mm. And and I feel that way with Gerard Carmichael. Like not only does he have the same thought processes and temperaments as me and he I, i've heard him on some podcast interviews before and i thought it was me speaking for a minute because he has my same stammer um is this the, who, uh, what else is this guy known for the carmichael show on oh, okay. nbc okay um he he's a young stand-up comic and uh but man i'm telling you it's just so raw and honest and there are parts that make you cringe from the honesty mm. and so it's like but but that's what we need, especially in these times, right? And he even goes a little political sometimes, but not in a way that is political. And it's like he's he approaches politics in a way that is just honest about his experience in life. And he opens up with a, a funny sort of 
uh, uh, joke about. Uh, uh, well, I won't run it. I I, I don't want to. I don't want to use his, his spoiler joke. alert. Yeah, the, there will be no spoilers here. And then uh, let's see. Oh, the essay I already recommended, the disease of more, so we can get past that. I was going to recommend Khalid's album, but you <laughs> recommended that. And so um, this is a parental advisory alert. If you have kids listening, uh, earmuffs. Uh, but there's this company called Mio who sent. Uh, it's called a penis ring, but let's just call it a cock ring. That's what it is, <laughs> right? Uh, and it's a vibrating <laughs> cock ring. So we're talking about happiness here. They sent this to Bex, and she said it was okay that I talk about it. But you know, to me, sexuality is certainly one of my my values, and and you know, it's either that or writing are the two things that where I feel like in a total you know, peak state, uh, quite literally, uh, during sex. But you know, we we like to be a bit adventurous sometimes, and so um, we we you know we we try some different toys out from time to time, and and this is one of them. And I guess like it's on Amazon. I can I can. Uh, I certainly would buy it. They sent it to Bex just because of her blog. Um, and does she talk about sexual stuff on her blog? Sometimes, but but okay. not nothing too too uh, intense. Um, but she alludes to you know different sexual experiences or or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they sent it to her with no expectation to review anything. But people will send her stuff from time to time. Mm-hmm. And so I said, hey, yeah, we'll try this out. Why not? You know, we've we've tried other. Uh, lesser models before, but uh, <laughs> it is unbelievable. That that's all I can really say. And Would so, you call it a game changer? Yeah, 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 totally. Like, you don't want to get dependent that's on great, it, man. Can I borrow it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here I got it right here. <laughs> Let me take it off. That's what's been vibrating in your pocket this whole time. <laughs> that's not my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, so I, I, man, I mean, it's funny because like if, uh, I, I think it's like 50 bucks or something like that. So it's not cheap, but it's, uh, yeah, it is. It's pretty awesome. So I know Tim Ferriss is constantly asking like, what's the, the last purchase you made a, a, under a hundred dollars that, uh, you find a lot of value in or whatever. It, and this would certainly fall into that category. This would be the first thing that I would think of hmm. for sure is the, Mio penis ring with five vibrations. <laughs> What's your favorite setting? <laughs> Rigorous. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on to right here, right oh, now. We've just lost half our audience. <laughs> yeah, we've gained a different audience, I think. <laughs> let's move on to right here, right now. This is where uh, we get to talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. Uh, speaking of my partner Rebecca, this month, so so she is the healthiest person I know, I think. I mean, she's just uh, a beast when it comes to diet and exercise and everything else. I mean, but she's not like overly aggressive with it. She's not obsessed with it. She's like, she is the the paragon of moderation with respect to everything. She exercises every day. She stretches. She does yoga. She meditates. And so she's, she's doing this new program where she is doing a 23-day reset on her, li- on her own life where her diet is already 90 plus percent pristine but she's making it 100 percent is it like a cleanse type thing sort of so, so what she's doing she's doing diet and she's doing exercise so she's been doing this exercise regimen every day it's kind of like p90x but shorter um and uh she uh, she's meditating every day she's making sure she's getting a full full eight hours of sleep and 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 she is trying to help 20 other people do this as well she's calling it the 23 day reset you know it takes 21 days to form a habit they say she wanted to go beyond forming the habit. So she's doing this 23-day reset on herself this month. And then starting April 1st, 
she's helping uh, 20 different people do, she's calling it 23 day priorities reset. Reset all of your priorities in, in 23 days and live you know a better life, uh, uh, improve your overall wellness. So if you're interested in that, I don't know how many slots she still has left for that, but you can find all the details over at minimalwellness.com and if you wanna be one of those 20 people. Also, I already alluded to this, but Mondays with the Minimalists, every Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern time, we get on Facebook Live and Instagram Live, and we drive around a bit, and we uh, we just answer some questions. We'll be calling some people as well on, on the phone, which will be really fun. So if you're interested in, in seeing us do that, you can just tune in. All the details to that over at theminimalists.com slash Mondays. Also, I'm teaching a writing class later this month. I teach a four-week writing class, but we're boiling it down to two hours, two to three hours. Um, it's a one-day writing workshop online. It's called How to Write Better. You can find that or the four-week class. You can uh, decide to, to sign up if you'd like over at howtowritebetter.org. That's howtowritebetter.org. Uh, basically, I just want to help people improve their overall writing. Whether you're, you want to write your book or you want to improve your, your blogging, you want to become a published author, you just want to improve your business emails, I think I can help you out with that. I've helped thousands of students over the last uh, five years or so since I've been teaching that class. And I've learned a lot about my own writing and I've learned a lot about how to help other people improve their writing as well. I already mentioned this at the beginning, but one last time, Ryan and I are hitting the road. The Less Is Now Tour. Find all the cities, dates, and tickets over at lessisnow.com. We'll do a live talk about minimalism. We'll record a live version of this podcast as well. Oh, uh, uh, one other thing, Ryan. This is really good news. I had no idea how many people uh, have been waiting for this, but I posted on social media this weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, this podcast is now available on Spotify. Oh yeah, and it, they, I guess they people it took, are getting super excited about that. Oh my goodness, man! Like so many people are like, finally, it takes. I mean, it took them over a year to accept this podcast for whatever reason. I just saw this weekend Sam Harris was reaching out to them like, hey, how do I get on your your platform? It just took a really long time for them because they accept very few podcasts onto their platform. They're they're very selective about that. So we're grateful to to be over there on Spotify. So if you prefer to listen there or subscribe there, follow us there, wherever you want to listen, we're just grateful that you do listen. But it's also available on NPR's uh, uh, new app. It's called NPR One, which is sort of like um, uh, Pandora for radio and podcasts and so hopefully that'll help us reach more ears as well and then i've been told that you can do this if you have the amazon echo which neither you nor i have but i'm told you can say hey lady with the a name uh <laughs> and uh, uh i don't want to say it because i don't want to set everyone set everyone's um thing off yeah yeah echo off but you can say hey lady's name uh play the minimalist podcast and and does it, it work? I've been told that it does. So, oh, wow. so cool. hit us up on Twitter. Let us know whether or not that does work. But it's pretty cool. So now you can listen to you can listen to less in more places, and and um, yeah. So you can find us on Spotify. You can find us in NPR One app, and um, you can find us via your Amazon Echo. You can just tell that lady in in the tube to start playing the Minimalist podcast. Uh, last but not least, advertisements suck, but if you want to support the podcast, just go to theminimalists.com slash donate or leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast as well if you want it to show up in your feed whenever we publish a new episode, which is usually on Tuesdays. 
That's all I got, Ryan. You got anything else? Uh, I got one thing that I'll add to your list. Um, I'm going to be in uh, Tokyo next month. Okay. So I have a friend. April, April 2017. Yeah. Um, in between uh, these these legs that we have. And basically... I, <laughs> Wait, I have two legs. <laughs> the legs of the tour that we have? Okay. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Thank you for helping me uh, <laughs> help the audience understand what I'm talking about. Um, but no, uh, so I have a friend over there with, with his partner and they have been traveling around for the last year, mm. over a year. And basically they kind of do the Colin Wright thing. They move every three months though, mm-hmm. because I guess it's pretty easy to get like a 90 day visa. Most right. places you go. So they've been moving around every three months. They have been teaching English online, yeah. which is crazy, man. Like they don't have to speak any other language. Yeah, they're basically like people who are learning English. They go to this company. I forget what company they work for. Um, and then they just they just need people to talk to have conversations with in English. Mm-hmm. So they're able to like provide for themselves by doing this online, which I just I, f- I find amazing. Like, that's really, really cool. So I told him if he was going to go out to Japan, like I would I would go out there because really, unless, you know, there was some amazing uh, a tour stop opportunity or something that, that made sense for us to go out there, I probably would never go to Japan. Right. Which there might be in the future. Yeah, yeah. And we- so he, it, it took him... Um, yeah, there ab- absolutely might be in the future. Um, but it took him... Uh, they have a dog with them, a little corgi that's traveling with them. Mm-hmm. And they tried to get to Japan, I believe it was like last August or September. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, this is Josh Wagner, by the way. This is... Uh, uh, one of the authors we work with today. Yeah, Press. and one of my mentor mentors on the mentoring page. Um, but uh, he, he couldn't get in because of the dog. They had to like quarantine him for six months or something. So oh like now goodness. they're finally making it over there. So long story short, Mariah and I are going to go over there. I don't think we're going to, I'm not going to do like a tour stop. Yeah. But what I will do is, is I will inform uh, people of maybe like a, a surprise, like meetup. So yeah, not so much up. of a surprise right now that I'm kind of talking about it. Yeah. yeah. But impromptu. Like, an impromptu. And I'll pro I was going to say, you know, if you want to, if you want to be aware of that, like, you know, sign up for the email list, but I don't even think we're, I don't think we'll announce it on the minimalist website. I think I'm just going to do a tweet. Yeah. So if you follow me, uh, if you live in Japan, uh, just follow me at Ryan Nicodemus and stay tuned in April. Um, I, I will probably send one tweet out. Um, and, and I, you know, my plan is like only two people are going to show up <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to like be able to recreate. Yeah, you're going like to be like DJ Khaled two, all of a sudden two, 500 people show 2012, up. I want to create that 2012 experience uh-huh. that, that we used to have on our tours. Sure. So I uh, won't be do, doing too much promotion around it, but um, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, look for that tweet, and, and I'll let you know where I'll be. It'll be an impromptu meetup. Man, you might get recognized more over there because, actually, I, I was going to wait till next podcast episode to talk about this, but now's a good time to talk about it. So starting in April, I believe it's April 1st. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's either April 1st, April 2nd. Our our documentary is going to be on Netflix worldwide. This is not an April Fool's joke, by the no, way. No, 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 no. Uh, it's going to be, so it'll be in, in April. Uh, it'll be Netflix worldwide, meaning worldwide wherever they have. It's not going to be in North Korea, I assume. I, I'm willing to bet we don't have many listeners in North Korea. <laughs> um, not with that attitude. But, uh, but you know, so it will be on Netflix worldwide. So if you... Uh, if it starts trending over there like it did in in the the Western world, then you might have a lot of people showing to your showing up to well, your tweet I up. That, I know that we all we are already pretty 
pretty well known over there because well, hey, we we have at least one of our books translated into Japanese. Yeah, at least one, maybe maybe two. I don't. And I don't then um, I was my I was going to my chiropractor a few months ago, and his wife is Japanese, and sometimes she's up there uh, as a receptionist. Yeah. And I walked in, and she was like, she looks at me. She looks at her computer. <laughs> she looks at me. <laughs> she looks at her computer. Looks back. She's like, "You're famous in Japan." <laughs> and she's like, "Come here and look." And she was literally like just reading an article that had been syndicated and translated into Japanese. That's really cool. And there was a picture of us. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Well, I'm glad I'm glad the message is resonating. We have we have uh, readers in 173 different countries now. Uh, well, we have more than a th- thousand readers in 173 different countries so um so so i'm sure we have at least one reader that snuck in in, in north korea somewhere i would i wouldn't count them as part of the uh, the overall list all right well um let's see here what else you got all right man the only thing i got left here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners josh and ryan this is lisa from waltham mass I'm calling in response to your jobs podcast. I thought there was a lot of great advice for people who are trying to pay off loans about, you know, finding extra ways to work to work and make money. And um, I actually do that myself. I do a lot of freelance work outside of my regular job, and I love it. Uh, but one comment I did have for anyone pursuing that idea is knowing that it's a sacrifice and that, you know, you can't do everything else in your life at that point. Um, an example I have is something that happened to me um, in my house when I was trying to do uh, that sort of thing back when I was a graduate student, and I didn't know how to go to anything, so I overextended myself and exacerbated a chronic condition that I already had, um, and it made it so much worse, and then I couldn't do anything that I wanted to do. So I think, you know, especially if you have a chronic health condition, or even if you don't, um, anyone can get sick or or, you know, burn the candle at both ends. And um, I guess I just wanted to say for anyone considering taking on extra work or, you know, trying to expand what they're doing, to also learn how to say no so that you can stay within your own boundaries and your own personal needs. Oh, hi, Josh and Ryan. This is Jennifer in the UK. I'm really enjoying your podcast. I've just listened to episode 46, and the discussion about prepping has inspired me to call in and leave a comment. I think there is a category of just-in-case item that it is a good idea to keep, and those are items that will keep you safe if something unexpected happens. So, for example, I keep a high-vis jacket and a wind-up torch in my car, so if I do break down on a dark night, I can get out of the car if I need to and still stay safe. I hope I never do break down, and my car's pretty reliable, so it's a very unlikely event, but if it does happen, then having these two just-in-case items will keep me safe. But that's my only exception to the just-in-case rule. It has to be an essential safety-critical item. And related to safety-critical items, a thing I really wanted to suggest was something that people could do. It's a really intentional way of spending their time acquiring a just-in-case safety-critical skill. I would encourage everyone to spend a day learning how to do basic first aid. I'm a really passionate believer that everyone should have these skills. You hope you're never going to need to use them, but if you do come across a situation where they are required, you're going to be really, really glad you've got them, as you could quite literally save someone's life with them. This is Wesley calling from Norfolk, Virginia. I wanted to share with you guys something that has brought much value into my life. I'm a longtime listener to the Thomas Jefferson Hour, 
and Clay Jenkinson, the host of the Thomas Jefferson Hour, turned me on to Jefferson's Canons of Conduct in Life, a decalogue of commandments that he suggests, and I li- try to live by them. I find that the Thomas Jefferson, at least in theory, was a minimalist, although it could be argued whether he was a minimalist in practice. Regardless, these 12 commandments bring value to my life, and I wanted to share them with other listeners of the podcast. Number one, never put off to tomorrow what you can do today. Number two, never trouble another with what you can do for yourself. Number three, never spend your money before you have it. Number four, never buy a thing you do not want because it is cheap. Otherwise, it will be dear to you. Number five, take care of your sense. Dollars will take care of themselves. Number six, pride costs us more than hunger, thirst, and cold. Number seven, we never repent of having eaten too little. Number eight, nothing is troublesome that one does willingly. Number nine, how much pain have cost us the evils which have never happened. Number ten, take things always by their smooth handle. Number eleven, think as you please and so let others and you will have no disputes. And number twelve, When angry, count to ten before you speak. If very angry, count to one hundred. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for the minimalists, especially if you have a question about values, uh, we're about to do an episode about values, and we could definitely use your questions on that. Give us a call, 406-219-7839. You can also send a voice memo from your phone to podcast at theminimalists.com. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things, because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for and you gotta grab oh i bet that you'll be fine without it so tear your eyes away or tear